You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So we have been going through this series in Acts, and in Acts, we have been on a really fun adventure. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of recap. I'm going to spend some time just kind of walking us back through what we've covered and then showing us sort of this turning point that's going to happen this morning as we get uh, caught back up to Acts 13. But over the last several weeks, we've been reviewing our, our, our teaching and diving in and digging into the book of Acts. And I recognize that this morning, we're going to have people joining us that are potentially new from around the country, friends and family of people in our real life church family, maybe people in the regular real life people that have uh, just been a little bit disconnected the last week or two because of uh, sort of the weird stuff going on in the world. And so this morning, we're just going to focus on getting everybody caught back up and, um, and then be ready to dive in in the weeks to come as we figure out how to be online and uh, doing church together from our living room. So um, several weeks ago, we started with the book of Acts. And as we started, we, we started looking at this awesome and amazing uh, account that Luke wrote. And it's this really cool account of the kind of the history of the early church and how the early church miraculously took off. And all the way back at the beginning where we saw this epic message that Peter gave. And at Pentecost, he preached this awesome sermon. And and the Holy Spirit showed up in a miraculous way with this rushing wind and these tongues of fire that this, this fire that literally rested over people's heads and they heard each other speaking in their own native tongue. And we learned the significance of the fire resting over their head. And for, for a Jewish person, it was very symbolic and there was great history attached to the symbolism about God's presence uh, showing up with fire and smoke. And so what they knew at Pentecost was that God was now deliberately showing up with individual people, like his presence was resting on people, not within a place, not the temple or the tabernacle or a tent. It was now resting on people. And we learned that, that from that point forward, people there and us now who put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we actually receive the presence of God personally. And we become mobile mini temples, and we actually take the presence of God with us everywhere we go. And that was kind of started this series, opening up and looking at the book of Acts. And, and then we learned about uh, this persecution and opposition that started against the early Christians. As the church took root and things began to grow, they also began to face persecution, including persecution from a guy named Saul, which led to one of the uh, really devout, strong early believers named Stephen, who was a, a, a very serious follower of Jesus and became persecuted to the point of death for his faith, for believing in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And so, because of that persecution, the believers in Jerusalem scattered. The apostles kind of hung tight in Jerusalem, but the, the disciples, the people that had put their faith in Jesus scattered and started to go to the surrounding regions to uh, outside of Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria and the region beyond. And, and we learned about one guy in particular that was a, a, an amazing guy. He was this bold, uh, strong, uh, fiery evangelist named Philip that that seems like we get this picture of a guy that 
everywhere he went, um, he just couldn't shut up about Jesus. He just kept talking and preaching and teaching the good news about Jesus and why it was so good to know and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And he went to a city in Samaria and he spent time there preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel. And it actually says that when he left that city, because of what he had done there and how God had worked through him and, and how the Holy Spirit had, had shown up in his work and in the people that he shared the gospel with, it said that that city was described as a city that had become full of joy. What a cool thing that must be like to have a city that's described as a city full of joy. And then we learned about Saul who had this miraculous encounter on the road to Damascus. Here he sets out to persecute Christians because he's feeling that they're um, opposed to his Jewish faith. He thinks that they're blaspheming or saying things that are untrue about God. And and he sets out to nip this new movement in the bud, to stop it and to, to threaten or even jail or kill people that believed in Christ. And on the way to Damascus, he has this amazing encounter with the resurrected Jesus and And he comes to a saving faith in Christ. He comes to believe for real that Jesus really is the Messiah that the prophets had spoken about and the scriptures testified about. And so he goes from this persecutor of the church to this amazing supporter and even evangelist to to convince and, and encourage people to follow Jesus. And then a few weeks ago, we learned about a really neat encounter, uh, an encounter between a couple of guys that were guys that would probably normally never have rubbed shoulders. They never would have hung out. They certainly wouldn't have shared a meal together. We learned about Peter, the apostle, who was in one town and God began to do something with him as he prayed and, and had dreams and God spoke to him about the things that he knew that were not clean to eat as a Jew. God made it clear to him that they were now clean and that, that everything that God said was okay was okay. And yet Peter knew there was something else to that. It wasn't just the food thing. And, and God also went to this man named Cornelius, this Gentile Roman soldier who God spoke to also. And in this miraculous way, God lined it up so that those guys could meet and, and meet in an amazing way at the Gentile man's house. And it becomes clear to the two of them as they exchange stories about what had happened and what God had spoken to them, that God was up to something amazing. He was up to making it clear to Peter as an apostle, to Cornelius as a Gentile, that God was a God for everyone just a God for the Jews, that he was a God for Jew and Gentile alike. And even better, you didn't have to become Jewish to worship the God of the Jews. There was salvation available. There was forgiveness of sins available. You could be right with the one true God by faith in Jesus alone with extra work needed, no extra deeds needed. And so we saw on the heels of that story something pretty amazing. We saw the very first non-Jewish people receive salvation and receive forgiveness of sins because they put their faith and trust in Jesus. It was kind of an epic point in the story. And then last week, Corbin preached and shared with us about uh, 
Barnabas and talked with us about Barnabas in this key city that Barnabas was in. It was a place called Antioch of Syria. It's a place north of Jerusalem on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, the kind of place you want to go on vacation to. It's a beautiful place. And and this city at the time was a, a pivotal city because it was a port city and there was all sorts of traffic in and out of there and different people from different cultures traveling to different places for trade. And there were some believers there that began to share the good news about faith in Jesus that began to share that anybody could receive salvation and be right with God if they put their faith and trust in Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior. And so there begins this movement in Antioch of Syria of these new believers and this faith is taking root there. And here's what's pretty cool is when the leaders back in Jerusalem heard about the movement of new believers in Antioch of Syria, they, they were like, we've got to send somebody there. We, we need, they need leadership. They need instruction. They need encouragement which is often what new believers need. And so they looked to one man that was best known as an encourager, that had a reputation of walking the walk, not just talking the talk. So they called Barnabas up and they sent Barnabas to Antioch of Syria. And the cool thing about Barnabas is he had this great reputation. He was known as this guy that really lived out his faith. In fact, years earlier, when this Christian movement was just getting off the ground, it was just beginning to take root in Jerusalem, there were all these needs arising in the church. There were widows that need fed, uh, orphans and and people that needed fed, people that uh, needed housing and help. And Barnabas owned land and he actually sold his land and gave all the money to the early church, to those that first group of believers, so that they could love and serve and help the people in their community. And, and you can imagine it did a lot for his street cred, a guy that actually lived out his faith. And, and on top of that, he happened to also be known as a guy that was just a great encourager. So we just get this picture of Barnabas as just a really devout, godly man that really lived out his faith with his deeds, but he also lived out his faith with his words. He was super encouraging. And so they send Barnabas to Antioch of Syria. And so here's what's amazing. And it's so cool is he gets to Antioch and what does he find? He finds that there are believers there. There are Christians there, Christ followers. And, and how excited must he have been to be in this far off place where there's all of these different uh, cultures kind of melting together and different people from different backgrounds and different religions. And yet to still find people that believed in the same Jesus that he came to tell them about. How encouraging that must have been. And and so things begin to take root and, and to really take off. And as he goes around and, and he looks at this, this early church there and these early believers, he offers them encouragement and spurs them on by telling them what they're doing right instead of trying to course correct, right? He just, he does what Barnabas did best, was he encouraged. And, and he became uh, widely accepted and popular and, and highly loved and revered. And, and in that, this church has taken off and taken root. And then we see something Barnabas does that probably not a lot of pastors, if we're honest, would think about doing. Barnabas looks around at his situation. He's garnered a lot of attention. He's garnered really popularity. Um, he's kind of become like the, the big wig famous guy that came from Jerusalem to help them in this early church. And then when he showed up, he was such an encourager that people liked him even more. And the church is on fire. It, many, many people are being added to their number daily. Like things are going as good as really you could dream a church plant of going. And Barnabas does something crazy. He actually leaves Antioch of Syria to go get help. 
Now, here's what's interesting to me. Like if Barnabas was gonna leave and go get help, you would think that he would have went back to Jerusalem, right? Where the apostles were, where the, the, the hardcore movement of believers were, experienced people were, but he doesn't do that. He goes actually in the complete opposite direction. Barnabas leaves Antioch of Syria. He goes north, west, 150 miles-ish to a place called Tarsus to find a guy named Paul. And you got to wonder, of all the places he could have gone, of all the people he could have asked for help, why would Barnabas have gone to ask Paul for help? And I think we can sort of find our answer if we rewind the clock a little bit, a little bit back, because probably what is easy for some of us to forget sometimes is that Barnabas was there right after Paul had his miraculous encounter with Jesus. And he got to Damascus and, and Paul had to deal with um, people not trusting him, not believing that he really had changed his ways. He really had um, come to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. And so here Paul is in his very first attempts at telling people that he's not the guy he used to be. He's not there with the message that he was, he, 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 he's changed on the way. And now he's there to share a message of hope and, and belief in Jesus. And nobody wanted to trust him and nobody wanted to believe him. And Barnabas was there observing Paul and how he handled himself and what he did. And I want us to take a look back at Acts 9 and read through a couple of passages together because what happens here gives us some insight into maybe how Barnabas shaped his opinions about who Paul was and why he might have changed chosen him as the guy to help him in Antioch of Syria. So it's going to be Acts 9.26. It'll be up here and it's going to be also there's in a links to the sermon notes. That's a PDF that's going to be available. So you can uh, click the link there. But Acts 9 verse 26 says, when he came to Jerusalem and that, that's uh, Paul. So he leaves Damascus. He comes back to Jerusalem. It says he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, rightly so. The last time he left, he was a part of stoning Stephen. And so it says that they were not believing that he really was a disciple, like had he really changed. But Barnabas took him in and brought him to the apostles. He told them that Saul, uh, how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting to me is I think we're starting to get an idea of what Barnabas thought about Paul because here's Paul back in Jerusalem. Nobody wants to believe that he's really changed. Nobody wants to believe that he really is for Jesus and for Jesus' followers now. And yet, and they're worried. And of all the people in town, one guy stands up with him. Barnabas comes forward and he, he sticks up for Paul. He defends Paul. He stands with Paul. And he does something even more than just stand with Paul. He actually takes Paul to the apostles. And he goes to the, this is the elite leaders of this new Christian church at the time where, where, the, where the apostles, the men that had been with Jesus. And, and Barnabas takes him right to those guys. And, and he doesn't just stand with Paul and say, here, you talk, I'll, I'll be supportive. Barnabas actually sticks his neck out. And, and says, you guys have got to understand, like I was there in Damascus. I saw the change. I watched as Paul preached the gospel fiercely. 
Barnabas, what he took away from that, from that time as he watched Paul and, and this conversion, this change of faith that Paul had, Barnabas observed that Paul fiercely preached about Jesus as the Messiah, which is pretty amazing. So now we fast forward several years. Barnabas is in Antioch. Things are going amazing. Things are going awesome. He needs help. And of all the places and of all the people he could have gone to and all the things he could have done to ask for help, he goes and finds Paul because he's like, you know what we need in Antioch? We need a guy that is bold. We need a guy that is fearless. We need a guy that will preach the gospel to anywhere, any place, anyone, anytime. And I know a guy who was crazy enough to one day want to persecute and kill Christians and the next day admit he was wrong and try and win people to the Jesus that he didn't believe just a week ago. That guy has got humility by the bucketful. That guy has got guts, fire in his belly. And that's the guy he wanted with him in Antioch. And so he takes him with him to Antioch and they come back and they actually spend about a year together uh, teaching about Jesus, preaching the word of God. And at, at about the end of this year, the church is on fire in Antioch. They're going amazing. They're figuring out their groove of how they work together. And then something happens. God does something that these leaders, these church leaders in Antioch are sensitive to, much like Philip was sensitive to God's leading. These guys sense God leading and, and saying to them that, that, that he's ready to do something new with Barnabas and Paul. And so that's where uh, Acts chapter 13 picks up. So let's look at it together. And then we're gonna kind of talk about that as we get, uh, keep going this morning. So Acts chapter 13, it starts off like this. It says, now in the church in Antioch, uh, there were prophets and teachers. It was uh, Barnabas, Simeon uh, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And there was Saul, which is Paul that we're talking about. Um, and while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. And so it's pretty neat, first of all, that we see here that these leaders of the church, the, the, the guys that were gathering together and, and directing and guiding the church in Antioch are sensitive to God's spirit. They're sensitive to God's leading. They're, in fact, it was during a time of worship that they recognized God. Um, saying something to them through his spirit, like prompting them that it was time to send Barnabas and Paul off together on something new, some new adventure that God had for them, some new thing God had prepared for them to do. And so they lay hands on them. They spend time fasting and praying and, and they send them off on a, a new adventure. Now, here's the thing that's interesting that I, to me, I love adventure. I love uh, taking off, hiking through the woods and just not having any idea where I'm going. Like the, the sense of wonder of what's around the corner or what's over the hill is enough to just draw me to a trail, right? Like I, that, that's just sort of the way I'm wired. For other people, it's like, I'm not going unless I know it is and how long it's going to take and how many miles it is and am I prepared and do I have the right stuff, right? Like you guys all know by now that uh, my analogy of the launch the plane, build the wings, like I sort of hike and adventure the same way. So I may or may not be prepared, but I'm up for whatever. And I love this of adventure that God was calling Barnabas and Paul to. It, 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 they don't know where they're going. 
It just says that they were, they were being called to a new work, to be sent out, to be sent off. And, and they have no idea where they're going to be sent. They have no idea how long it's going to take. They don't know if they're ever going to be back. They don't know if they'll make it through alive. They don't know if they'll face persecution. They have no idea what's to come. And the truth is, it was an epic adventure. It was amazing. They faced extreme persecution. They were beaten They were jailed at different times in different parts of this adventure. They also experienced unbelievable joy and excitement as people came in droves to know and put their trust in Jesus. They lined the streets to hear Paul preach. He would show up one day and preach to a handful and the next day the whole city would come out. They had no idea on this adventure that they were going to have to defend themselves and convince people that they actually were not gods. Like people actually wanted to worship them because they were, they were amazing and gifted and, and encouraged and full of the Holy Spirit. And they, they loved people so well and they, they healed and they served and they cared. And people actually looked to them as if they were gods and they had to like fight people off to convince them that they were just regular people. They had no idea that was to come as these men in Antioch laid hands on them and began to send them off for this crazy adventure. One of the things they did that I think is really significant, um, and it's something that we're going to do as a church. um, One of the things they did is they fasted and prayed. They had no idea where they were going to send Barnabas and Paul. They had no idea what was in store for them. They just knew that God was at work and out of obedience And as an act of worship and sacrifice, they set aside time where they they fasted. And and as they longed for things, it it prompted them to pray and to ask God to to take care of Barnabas and Paul and to go with them wherever they were going to go and to, to do mighty and amazing things so that the whole world would come to know who Jesus was. And as a church... The truth is we're in uncertain times. Like we don't know how long this virus stuff is going to take to pass. We don't know how it's going to really personally affect our own family and our own friends and and people that we love that live, you know, in California or New York or Alaska or you name it. We, We don't know how it's going to all play out exactly. There is uncertainty and that's just true. We don't know how it's going to affect our uh, town and our little community on the Palouse. We don't know how it's going to affect the economy, our local economy in the weeks and months to come. We don't know how it's going to affect our global economy in the weeks to months to come. And so much like the leaders in that church in Antioch where there was all sorts of uncertainty, they didn't know where they were going to send Barnabas and Paul. They didn't know what they were out to do. In a similar time of uncertainty, I'm just calling for us to be a a people that like those leaders then, we are not doubting that God is in control. We're not doubting that God is at work and can do amazing and miraculous things. And people throughout the world can come to put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, irregardless of if they can meet together in groups of this size or that size. That in spite of all that's going on, God will do amazing and miraculous things. And, and I think for us as a church, it's so important that we take time to set aside time to fast and pray for those very things. And so 
That's one of the things we're going to do beginning this Friday uh, and every Friday thereafter. It's going to be part of our new kind of battle rhythm as a church is Friday mornings at eight o'clock from eight to eight thirty for 30 minutes. We're going to spend time praying and fasting. And so when I say fasting, we're going to commit from 8 a.m. on Friday morning, no matter where you're at, if you're at work, if you're at home, if you're commuting, like whatever it is or working from home. Uh, young, old, everybody at 8 a.m. Set yourselves reminders on your phone so that you don't forget sticky notes on your fridge. At 8 a.m., we're gonna stop. We're not gonna eat anything. We're not gonna drink any coffee. We're not gonna have any water. Like it's a 30 minute short thing. It, for some of you, you may need to say, I'm not gonna use my phone because that's your go-to thing. Maybe you need to turn technology off if you're able. You might be at work and that's not an option, but but you need to do the things that are your go-to things and, and agree to abstain from those things. And here's why we do that. Because we're just naturally inclined to like reach for the things that make us comfortable, to grab for our phone, to grab for a cup of coffee, to get a drink of water. And for those 30 minutes, every Friday morning, when we, when we think of those things or long for them, instead of picking up our phone, we're gonna stop. That's our prompt to pray. And so we're gonna know as a a real life family, as a church, everywhere, whatever living room we're in, car we're in, workplace we're in, every Friday morning at 8 a.m., we're gonna sacrifice some little stuff to remind us to pray. And so this week, we're gonna start by praying for our church, for our friends and our family that we would be united through a time of this weird social distancing stuff, that we're gonna pray for us to to set aside whatever weird beliefs we've got about what we like about technology or what we like about Facebook or we don't like about this. We're just gonna set that stuff aside and we're gonna use the resources available to us to do an amazing job of loving our friends and neighbors well. And so we're gonna just pray for that. And we're gonna ask God during that time specifically to prompt us and remind us about people that need checked on people that need a phone call, that need a FaceTime, face-to-face phone visit, people that need you to swing by something and drop it on their porch for them, people that need some money mailed to them so that they've got something that shows up in their mailbox to help them out. And so we're gonna do that every Friday morning beginning this, uh, this week. And so we'll be on social media throughout the week and we'll remind you about it as we go. Um, and then in the weeks to come, we're gonna continue in our series in Acts. And we're going to start to go on this really cool adventure with Barnabas and uh, Saul and, and Paul, or excuse me, Paul and, and some of his uh, con- traveling companions and cohorts. And we're going to see amazing things happen. And I think it's going to help us not only grow in our understanding of how the early church took root and spread under unusual circumstances, but it's going to be a time where we're challenged personally to grow in our faith and to practically put our faith into practice in a way that's creative in an unusual time in our history. And uh, I think we're just going to be really challenged and grow as a church. And so I'm excited to see everybody here in the uh, weeks to come on Sunday mornings. I would really encourage you all to be um, sharing the videos of church on your Facebook and social media uh, so that friends and family that you have that are near or far might actually watch service and hear the gospel in a way that they might not have been comfortable coming to church, but during these times, they may feel like it's time to reach out and look for hope and help um, from something bigger than themselves, from a God that loves and cares about them. And so let's, let's do a great job of encouraging people to um, stay plugged in and connected to church. So we're gonna finish up with communion. And um, 
every week we get together uh, as a church and we take communion. And so we're going to do the very same thing as we're doing church online. Every week we're going to take communion together. And so for us as a church, uh, communion is uh, something that is for anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so if Jesus is your Lord and, and you want to remember what he did for us on the cross, that we have forgiveness of sins, that we have a, a, a way to have a right relationship with God, communion is the time that we remember that that came about because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And so I'm gonna grab my stuff right over here. And I know a lot of you are getting creative at home and you may have a, a juice or grape juice, or I saw some people posting pictures with milk and cookies. I mean, milk and Oreo communion sounds like the best communion ever, I'm just gonna say. Um, and so it's not about the element. It's not about what it is. It's about what these things represent to us as believers. And it's important for us as believers, and especially now, even as we're apart from each other at home, that we remember what Christ did for us on the cross, that we can be right with God. And so every week we'll finish like this. And so you'll know in the future to have those things ready at home. Um, every week we get together and we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for that bread. And he, he said that this bread represented his body that was broken for us. And so as we eat the bread, let's remember that. In the same way, he took a cup uh, after supper and, and he told them that this cup represented a, a new covenant. It was a, a new agreement, if you will, or a new arrangement for people to be made right with God and to receive forgiveness of their sins. And the, the new way to receive forgiveness of sins was sealed with the the shed blood of Jesus. And so as we take this cup this morning, no matter where you're at, remember that you can be forgiven for anything and everything you've ever done because of what Christ did for us on the cross. Let's take the cup. Let's pray. And then we're gonna finish with uh, some worship together. And so uh, please join me as we pray. Father God, we love you. And we thank you so much for your son, what he did on the cross for us that we can be made right with him. So we love you. We're so grateful for you. Thanks for all these crazy inventions of technology that uh, in spite of our circumstances, we can still gather together um, and be close even though we're far apart. God help uh, draw us together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.